Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I have Stuart Laws with me. Stuart is a writer, director, actor, playwright, and stand-up comedian. And he also runs a production company, Turtle Canyon Comedy. So, so many areas to dig into. But before we dive in, Stuart, what else should people know about you and your connections to creating comedy? Um, I guess I've been doing it for quite a while now. And uh, from what you've just listed there, seems like I'm doing it across a bunch of different uh, areas, um, which is very, you know, is interesting. I like doing um, stand-up myself and, and performing myself, but yeah, also writing and developing things behind the scenes. Um, yeah, it all seems to sort of crush together in a uh in a blend that seems at the moment to still be useful and fun and helpful you know everything's helping each other amazing i love that i love the image of crushing it and blending it all together which is perfect and i'm going to tease some of that apart as we focus on one of your projects and the one i'd love to start with is a play oh. that you wrote the journey so many things I'm curious about. I have loads of questions, loads of notes, but can you, first of all, just let us know a little bit about what the premise was and what interested you comedically about that premise? So the interesting thing, I guess, with the play was that there was two premises happening and there was one that was like the public premise and then there's the one that was the actual premise. So the public premise and the way that we had to sell the play was that it is a romantic comedy about a breakup that takes place on a spaceship. Whereas the uh, the secret uh, premise of it is uh, of a uh, manipulative, toxic uh, male creator um, using uh, stories that aren't his to tell in order to um, position himself as a good guy. Amazing. That makes sense. Uh, now, when I think about some of the reviews that I've read, where there were some really super interesting discussions, which we can dig into. I love that. I, I'm going to start on quite a primary level, first of all, because I have to ask about the setting. You said it's on a spaceship. Yeah. What do you think um, that setting gave you that you wouldn't have had comedically if you'd picked a domestic setting? Yeah, so the inspiration initially for it um, was uh, I was broken up with by, uh, by someone uh, whilst on holiday with them and I um, you know at the time it was tough but it was okay uh, but in hindsight I'm like that is objectively quite a funny situation to be in sort of stranded with this person who no longer wants to be in a romantic relationship with you and then I thought that would be funny if it was on sort of a galactic level where you as a couple are visiting a exploding star on like this supernova spaceship and cannot keep it together long enough to witness something so sort of grand and universe building as uh, or you know as powerful as something like that um so it's initially started with sort of a fairly pretentious premise of just like look at us so all so obsessed with our own sort of like storylines and narratives that we create um that we're you know we're so minuscule in comparison to what is happening um, and it started as a short story. And then over the years, as I realized, ah, oh, man, it's pretty pretentious stuff. Um, I retooled it and thought this would work well as a play. And sort of like, as it started to develop the meta level of like the the main character in it, um, 
is also the writer of the play um that i was like well let's take some of the embarrassing youthful pretension that you put into that short story and start to tease it out in this sort of like two level play of like the romantic comedy but then also this uh other level that slowly starts to tease out over the course of the play amazing I had read that it was originally conceived as a short story and I was curious about that. Is that something uh, that you did much of or are still doing or was that like a, a one-off thing that you did? I think uh, for a lot of um, stand-up and um, you know, sort of narrative or, or scripted like that, there are there's so many different ways that it can sort of um, gestate, sort of grow and develop and there have been like uh, stand-up shows that I've written which have been based around a story that I've written out and I've just spent time writing out that particular story to understand every element of it before then it translates into like a stand-up show where actually all of that story I wrote gets stripped down to maybe five percent of like the funny and the relevant stuff and then the rest of it gets filled in with jokes and everything but I, I like to know every detail so that when I'm writing it or if I'm on stage and I'm improvising a bit or developing a bit I know oh that thing happened and I could talk about that now and maybe that will spark a new joke or that will you know I want to feel like anything that I make is very like coherent and whole and real um, even if there's like half truths in it or uh, outright lies that are designed to sort of propel us from one plot point to another or one joke to another i love that yeah that makes so much sense um i'm currently doing a short story challenge myself it's uh, from inspired by ray bradbury uh. who uh suggests that if you're writing to write a short story a week for a year and if you write 52 then they're not all going to be 52 bad ones yeah yeah i think that's really fun as a way of generating material and i love the way that you're describing it as really filling that out and then stripping it back that's definitely what i want to do is is go back once i've done the 52 to just pull out two or three and start mining for bits within it and that's super interesting yeah absolutely and there's always like bits within it where you're like oh that's nothing as a story but there's like uh. an observation that you arrived at or like a, a sentence where you're like that is something but it can go i can pull that out and it's like a thousand words around it are irrelevant but you would have never got to that observation if you hadn't have just you know without any prejudice or like criticism of yourself you've just writing to just get the story out um which is difficult because a lot of people want to like write something that arrives fully formed and i understand that sort of pressure where you're just yeah. like I don't want someone to accidentally find this document and read it and be like, ha this guy's a loser. But part of the process is yeah. writing bad stuff. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, for myself, I've got the parameter. If it has to be completed in two hours and then it gets uploaded to my website, and even if I look like a total loser or it's really bad, it has to sit there and then I can come back and mine it. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the things that I love about comedy is comedians' willingness to risk those things to do things that don't work uh, um, and obviously you have so much experience in stand-up too so you must be a genius at that well but i'm a I, genius I, I at doing things that don't work <laughs> but that is its own kind of skill <laughs> <laughs> it's really required i think yeah yeah that's amazing 
So I want to come back to this public and private in a minute, yeah. but um, before I lose that side shoot, I do want to ask you about uh, the sort of magical realism or surrealism element of works like this uh, within your sort of bigger picture of comedy. Why do you think you're drawn to them and how do you think they fit with comedy in your brain? Very interesting question and one I did not expect. Congratulations. I can um, save it more if you like. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> The reason on. I'm asking partly is, yeah, but I think often when people talk about magical realism within fiction, um, I think it still has often quite a serious, if and there may be some delightful tone to you, like people like Isabel Allende or um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, we talk about magical realism in that way. But I think there's a really interesting vein of magical realism within comedy that isn't always talked about so much and certainly not within fiction or within plays. So I'm interested in um, why that appeals to you. And I've, I've also been watching bits of your stand-up and I can see the surreality playing in it. Uh. So what, what do you think draws you to that in comedy rather than keeping it um, as grounded drama with jokes? Like why magical realism? Where's the play in that for you? Well, I guess there is an element for a start of uh, drawing a fourth wall that, with that, which I sort of, you know, you mentioned the public and the private and there's always these dueling things. I, I do feel a genuine desire for sort of privacy and to not reveal everything. Like, um, you know, stand-ups that can get up there and, you know, or like writers or people that can really mine their real life and are okay putting it all out there you know i'm i think are amazing um and it's just not that's not something that i've ever been fully comfortable with and i sort of almost sort of don't it's the the stuff i'm drawn to is is the stuff that's hidden behind the metaphors or like a fantastical situation i remember years ago reading etka Coret, um some he's an israeli short story writer and he he does sort of uh magical realism stuff and i remember that was sort of like reading that stuff i was like oh yeah that's an interesting way of sort of doing it and expressing a thought um in a way that you know if people are having an emotion say whether it's a breakup or it's uh the loss of a loved one or something like that there's lots of things out there that address that head-on and that's interesting um and you know good to do but for me I, I'm like uh, is there a, a different way that we can take this that it sort of lives away from that emotion so it has its own grounding so if it's like oh this is a play about a spaceship that turns out to be about something different or it's a stand-up show about working in a puffin sanctuary for the summer which turns out to be actually about something different if you sort of really get into it but it can also be just enjoyed as a, you know, a stupid play about a spaceship um, that is the sort of stuff that interests me to have the ability for it to sort of live as two things and for someone to be able to enjoy it on that surface level and then for other people to be like oh I think that means that and and so on and I think it, it's it's interesting to just be like where how, how far can you push those sort of things and those discussions or or, or, or stand-up routines or narratives um to, to yes to a is there a, an actual limit to it or 
will someone go with you on a story because it feels real and it feels truthful even though it's obviously about something that's not true and i think something feeling genuine to me is more important than a true story oh my goodness that's such a perfect way to express it because when i think of so many of the things that i've read like for example i've been reading zen cho's short stories recently and there is quite a lot within the mythology of it of different ghosts and dead characters showing up. And yes, you've got this fantastical element or there's vampire type characters, there's dragon type characters, but there's something that's incredibly truthful uh. Uh, and human that it cuts to as well. So I love the way that uh, you're talking about how that still cuts to the genuine feeling of it and that mattering more than anything. And that makes sense to me when you're talking about those metaphors as well, that um, metaphor, obviously we experience visually or viscerally and it might be um, quite you know an elaborate visual metaphor that's uh, a hop skip and a jump away from how we describe it in very perfunctory everyday words uh. but it cuts to what it actually feels like so i love that yeah that's so interesting and thank I've, you i i think there's so much of you know things that i would say like would provoke stronger emotions in me are not like very straightforward yeah, they're not like oh bam here's a sad video of a thing that's going to make you crying I, I and i don't think that's you know that's true for a, a lot of people where that that they maybe are more likely to have a broader range of strong emotions but like i think everyone has this thing where you know it might be a certain font or it might be a sound or a you know there's so many like minute things that sort of are stored away in your brain that can depending on where you are emotionally, where you are physically, provoke a reaction. And I'm interested in, yeah, in exploring those sort of details, mainly being trying to be funny, but like there's like yeah. a lot of times when I'm trying stuff out on stage where I'm just like, I feel like, yeah, this is an observation. This is a thing that people connect with and then find out, oh no, that's not a thing that other people connect with i'll give it another couple of goes no it's not but weirdly like there'll be like one person or like a couple of people across the gigs where who've really connect to that bit and it's interesting seeing how that goes and sort of fine-tuning a show finding those bits and making sure deciding whether or not it's a bit that connects with people enough or whether you you can rephrase it to make it connect with enough people or whether it's literally something where you go that okay that's too niche what is the what is the next thing that we can use to try and explain that emotion or that thing um you know like to uh, i'd describe a friend of mine um in one of my shows as the sort of person who drinks soft drinks from a mug and it just sticks in my head as like this like this sort of you can't say that it's wrong but it's unsettling and that's the sort of trying to create this sort of unset, you know, build out this character as this, he does things slightly, slightly left of center, slightly unsettling, and you wouldn't fully trust him, but you, you can't explain it to other people. And I, that, when that, when I managed to phrase that enough that it landed with people, I was like, great, cool. That is a, that's a thing. And it sells who that character is in like a sentence. That's so clever and brilliant. I love that. Fantastic. So um, with regards to the public and the private uh, that you mentioned for your play, uh, did you feel that split um, because of like very uh, like real considerations like marketing or was it linked to 
sort of audience expectations and what you needed to set up or something else entirely? Like, what was that tension for you? I think the problem was that, that it made it incredibly difficult to market um, because we had to basically market it. And like the, the Pleasants produced it and took it up and there was such an amazing team and Fidi Lardenberg directed it um, and, you know, Phoebe Sparrow and uh, Will Brown are in it and were so incredible and so crucial to sort of the development of it um, that it, we, we realized we were in a tough situation because we needed to sell it as a essentially bog standard romantic comedy play but with like peppy dialogue and a couple of leads that you're like ha ha they're funny and they're doing a funny thing because that was necessary for the deception to make the play work and I think that made some people not like it because they felt deceived and felt found it difficult um, and it also meant that it was some of the most stressful experiences I've had with something I've written because I remember the first preview of it some friends of mine coming along and I was sat next to them and basically there's there's a point about 25-30 minutes in where it's maybe even slightly earlier where it's sort of clear that it's not a great play and the lead character in it is saying some misogynistic things but like disguised as like funny and the phrasing and the present presentation of it is designed to take away all autonomy from the female character and i had to sit there knowing where it was going but also feeling like fuck my friends think i've written a sexist damaging play and I hope that yeah. they don't walk out at this point because they will never know like it's like a necessary um uh, alleyway to lead down to make the rest of it work yeah that that does sound stressful but also I think so admirable in terms of the kind of ground that we want comedy to be exploring and perhaps it's just that it hasn't been explored so much in plays like we have very typical farces. We have things that are maybe a rom-com, but it sounds like you are in really interesting territory. And I think it can be so difficult for the creators. I've just got to the end of Atlanta season four, which I absolutely loved. And I thought it was such a smart, funny show. And in Googling bits around the show, there was um, a big Rolling Stone article that came up about Donald Glover. Like, is it misogynoir? Is it this? It's like, no, it's just the way that he was digging into things and in a nuanced way and playing those different games with audience expectations. It's nuanced and it's funny and it's brilliant. Um, so I do really feel for you like balancing those different nuanced considerations. Yeah, I but, just... Um, in some of the reviews that I read, um, go for it. Someone said that expect to leave discombobulated, which I thought was amazing. It's like, yeah, I don't want to leave a plate board. I want to leave discombobulated. <laughs> I want to leave having had an amazing experience with loads to talk to my friends about. Yeah, and that was 100% like what I wanted to do. And I'm like, you know, I felt slightly like a fraud in that, like I'm not a huge theatre like fan. Like when I've seen good plays, I've been like, oh, that's really great. And, it, and what I like about a really good play is that it's doing something that only a play can do. And it's the same with stand-up. Yeah. It's like you why why use that particular art form if you're not going to do use the tools that that particular art form has to the best of their abilities like if you're just going to do a play that could just be could just be filmed or whatever you, you go let, let's find a way of playing with audience expectations and 
the form in some way. Um, but also that's sort of quite a cheeky thing to sort of come in and for your first play be like, haha, I'm going to tear apart all of the rules and stuff that you've come up with. Um, and so working with Phoebe Lardenberg and working with Phoebe Sparrow and Will Brown, who are in it, who are all way more experienced with theatre, was something that I, was so like important to me because I, I want, I didn't want to it to hit the wrong notes, and I wanted everyone to leave discombobulated, and I wanted everyone to, I wanted some people to come out of it and just, and and they did truly believe that the play had gone off the rails and that there was an abusive relationship happening on stage in front of them. Um. And to the, we had people leave and tell the venue staff that it had gone wrong and they need to go in there now. Um, and it was interesting sort of getting those reactions because you are going to lead to a situation where someone will vehemently um, not want to enjoy it because it, it, it will feel potentially triggering. And like we did have some trigger warnings um, in there and or there will be you know, that feeling of just like, this is not the sort of theatre that I signed up for. And that is sort of a deceptive thing to be like, it's it's a romantic comedy, but actually we're pulling the rug and it's actually the last 15, 20 minutes is quite an intense, like, battle of wits of the people you thought previously were characters now being their real life actors, fighting with each other and trying to get the upper hand to own the stage and you're wanting this bad guy to get beaten but it always looks like he's somehow managed to turn it back on her um and that yeah couldn't have been done without you know the you know people helping me at every sort of stage and um you know bringing their sort of theatrical knowledge to to that because i was bringing a stand-up knowledge to it and like there was direct address and those parts were designed deliberately to sort of win the favor of the audience to have the male character direct address the audience so that you felt the bond with them and then you realize when the female character talks to the audience for the first time when it when she breaks character that that's like a moment where you're like oh hang on we haven't heard from her yet and now she's talking directly to us amazing and i'd love to know like from that experience if there's anything that you think you took in a craft perspective, back into uh, the many projects that have followed since then, because it sounds like such an intense and alive and um, you know, very vibrant experience to have had. Is there anything that you think then informed the work that you've gone on to do? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, um, you know, having an awareness after that of like how strong a reaction that that can be was important and to try and make sure that I think for stand-up, it's way more difficult, especially if, like, for me, I'm trying to be an observational comedian, even if I'm doing it in a slightly unusual way, and to try and make sure that the audience are comforted by the... They know that this is heading somewhere. And it was something I'd always... I was getting better and better at, but my show in 2019, Stuart Laws is All In, um... I deliberately uh, structured it to, at every opportunity, remind the audience of like what this show is about and where it's heading, and all of my routines for that were based around um, the concept of having to make a binary choice. And um, there are some 
structural tricks and bits in it, which um, it's actually coming out on April 21st as uh, a special on 800 pound gorilla so i don't want to give everything away but like there are some elements later on in the um in the show in the special where um they are seeded quite early on and hopefully in this sense it's it's clear that i've been holding stuff back from the audience and the show is different to what uh they everyone thinks it's been the entire time um and, but I wanted to do that in a more comforting way than I did with the journey, which was deliberately designed to make you feel like you didn't know what was happening and whether or not it was real and what wasn't and things like that. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to see your new show. Uh, yeah, don't tell us anymore, but I was super intrigued. Amazing. I'd love to uh, switch over to your series that I've watched recently, oh. Grave New World, um, because I think that's it's so interesting that in different forms of comedy, there can be different playbooks that allow us to do very specific things in a way that sometimes theatre isn't quite so well defined and people can be more easily shocked. So I don't, how would you describe Grave New World tonally? Um, Grave New World is a, uh, it has the veneer of a current affairs show reporting on the world as we emerge from a pandemic, um, but has a sort of a more surreal surreal sort of an ever more uh creeping paranoia to it um yeah. and it sort of was trying to mainly just make something funny and stupid with friends sort of you know in what was a very weird time for everyone um but secondly to sort of a, a part of it to have that uneasy feeling of not quite knowing what everything meant which i think it, or, or what we were supposed to be doing which was though though especially those first six months seven months of the pandemic um just yeah to create that uneasy sort of feeling i love that i, I really enjoyed watching it oh, thank it you so fun so many things that i loved about it and i'd love to know whether there was anything because so you're so experienced as i say and not just as a stand-up and a playwright but also as a writer a director and actor like you really have had the industry experience from all sides but still coming to make Grave New World in that format as that series, was there anything that you found surprising um, about it or anything that you had to kind of particularly work on in a craft perspective to really make sure that you hit the tone that you wanted to? Yeah, that was... Um, so the, it, it's an interesting mixture of sort of stand-up sort of monologuing um, into like sketches and semi-improvised interviews and so we have uh, like an amazing cast and um, my sort of, I, I also had Alex Keeley and Eleanor Morton help write on it as well and sort of script edit and, you know, contribute ideas and, and write sketches and parts in it. Um, and they're both in it as well. Um, but part of it was wanting to have like a looseness to it that can be then um, honed down in the edit so there was an initial edit of it which was like an hour and 20 long and I think it's now like 53 minutes or 54 minutes across four uh, episodes um, but essentially the structure of it is um, an Edinburgh stand-up hour of seeding things in at the start um, establishing the world and then letting it slowly unpack over the course of that uh, you know, hour um 
but yeah, the improv Im- improvised sort of interviews was were interesting because it was a bunch of people who I've you know done comedy with loads, are, are good friends, and I feel like I wanted to have diff- people who brought very different energies. So we had Heidi Regan, who's very dry, very surreal, um, and then we have uh, like Rose Johnson, who's quite uh, you can be a bit more formal and like can absolutely hit sort of like that sort of like cutting sort of like a bit more brusque sort of back and forth that we had um and then james acaster is obviously you know well known for everything that he can do and we have like a natural sort of silliness to us when then sadia Azmat has a very different sort of like um sort of almost controversial sort of way of sort of talking that i found i find very funny and it was like I wanted all these different elements to sort of come together and I'd, we would just run the interviews three or four times and we had like a couple of cue points where I was like, this is what I'm going to ask you. This is a line that I need you to get in for the larger structure of the show. And here's like a, a, a top or a tail that we need to get to get us in and then to get us back out and into the sort of the semi-narrative of the show. And it was making those feel natural out of like what can be very loose back back and forths and so like if we improvise something i was like yeah that's good that's a bit we want to do but i need it to be slightly more um yeah we need to come out of that with more excitement and straight into this bit and then that way it will sort of all flow as if a, a scripted sort of thing um but yeah mainly just really fun to just make that sort of stuff with your with your friends and to to be lucky enough to have a bunch of friends in comedy who are so funny and so willing to sort of go yeah great i'll come do that and spend a day you know filming a variety of different things with you amazing and i'd love to know how calibrated do you think it is at this point your sort of spider sense of when you put things on the page being able to tell how funny it is versus actually then getting it with uh, your friends and testing it out you said there's that improv element i'm curious for example in something like your short film shared documents how much of that was written before and how much was sort of developed with your co-performer and also how you're kind of at what point are you able to feel the confidence that, that yes this is working this is funny or this section isn't working and know how to troubleshoot it yeah that's a, a very broad question about basically how do you tell when it's working or not when you're working by yourself and potentially when you're working with a co-performer i find it so much easier now to just know that there's definitely something in uh, an idea um i and i tend to if i'm previewing say stand up and there's an idea that i'm not confident in i know i know it's because it's not right yet and i will tend to not save them on stage because i know that i can't make it work yet whereas there's if there's something that i'm like there's definitely something in that and i think my hit rate on that is much better than it used to and that is literally just years of doing bits understanding what bits are like Stuart um centric sort of flights of fancy that don't quite land yet with people and so there was a bit that I've been trying to work with my new stand-up show um for this year which I just had an idea a while back that I thought it would be funny to just talk do a routine about having a wife despite not having a wife and I just I knew in my bones that that there would be something funny there and i sort of threw a few ideas around and couldn't get it and then i was literally flying back from a holiday and my sort of brain had been emptied of doing stand-up and 
you know, I'd sort of stayed out in the wilderness and had a really nice time that suddenly I was on this flight and I was like, oh shit, that's what it is. And got my laptop out and typed out about, I think about 1800 words of an entire routine, which I then did, I think the next day to the best my memory would allow me to do it. And it sort of 75% worked that I was like, okay, so that's interesting that sometimes you've just got to leave it and you've got to just sort of have that idea knocking around and then trust that at some point it's going to hit you or a line will hit you, which will spark the next line or something like that. And it's not trying to force it necessarily. Um, and in terms of like something like shared document, um, you know, working with others and developing ideas, um, that was largely um, as written. And um, Jess Foster Q, fantastic comedian, directed that. And the reason why I wanted her on that, aside from you know being good friends with her and thinking she's great, is that what I wanted to have with that is a level of sort of realism in that conversation and that dialogue. That um, when me and Phoebe and who's my co-star in it and Jess got on a Zoom and we filmed that during lockdown. Um, that we would play around with the dialogue and we would play around with being sort of brother and sister and chatting about, you know, the different lines and what they meant and things like that. Um, and I wanted to hand it over to Jess to be like, tell me anything that's hitting the wrong note. Tell me anything that's not. And the same with Phoebe because Phoebe's such an incredible actor and I felt very sort of out of place sort of acting opposite her. Um, that it was such a useful exercise to then go away and to do a redraft so that when we came to it, we could, that there actually was not any improv in the recording and that the improv was done beforehand and then the redraft happened. And then that was what we locked in because I think it was something like that, which was so, it's quite tightly um, sort of, it's a set piece sort of film and it's a, a horror um, but it's also, you know, an emotional thing about grief that it was, it needed to not deviate. It needed to hit all the marks it needed to hit at the right moment so as to make the end scary and unsettling and, and to some people, uh, sort of, I, I think I did read a review of it that they didn't like the ending because they felt it was a cop out. Whereas in my mind, the ending is deliberately not revealed what exactly has been haunting these people um because that's what grief is is something that you don't fully comprehend and understand but is always there and you could just turn around and suddenly be staring it in the face sort of thing i love that and i i think that links back so closely to some of the things that you were saying at the beginning of the interview about how you it's actually how you want to transmute what grief feels like in different ways more than say this is exactly what it's like and this is exactly what's happening that makes so much sense to me and that's also what i took from the film and i'll make sure that there's a link to that in the show notes too lovely so i'm going to zoom out a little bit um because i know that you're also you run a production company uh. titled canyon comedy how you have the time to do that as well i don't know no but idea. that's another question <laughs> um but i'd love to know um because you have that perspective too if there's anything that you think that sort of real broader industry perspective 
gives you in terms of craft that you just didn't have before you you were that fully involved in the production company? If you can remember back to a time where maybe you were a writer and a stand-up before you added all these extra hats. What have you learned now that actually helps you when you sit down? Yeah, weirdly, the production company is something that's existed since I was 18. Um, me and a friend... Oh, I did not know that. ...formed it out of school because we loved making short films and we wanted, we were offered a job at a, an old school of ours to help teach the kids how to make films. And we were like, oh, wow, we could do that as a business and that could fund all of the stuff we want to make. And weirdly, 20 years later, that is still what we are doing. And there's a third member of the of the team now and we've got such an amazing you know gang of freelancers who work with us so regularly um that we've sort of over the years sort of honed and sort of found people that have you know resonate with us and have a similar sort of like desire to just make stuff um and i think that is the thing that unites everyone that ends up working with us and you know obviously there's sometimes you do a corporate job because you've got to pay a bill or something like that or you know you work on a job that maybe is not the ideal thing or you, you're you so busy it's difficult to sort of make sure you focus on everything and the thing that always i have to sort of let slide is my own personal you know stand up or things like that so there'll sometimes be periods of time where i won't gig for like a month or so because i need to focus on the company but what's been so great is making that decision 10 or so years ago now to really focus in on comedy because you know i was meeting some really interesting people doing comedy back in like 2010 2011 and was like i'd like to make stuff with these people and to have them grow as stand-ups and for uh, the company to grow and us you know to make really cool things together is such a great way f for me to like work closely with people on like stand-up shows or like scripts that, that are like their pride and joy and to understand how other people work and to sort of take sort of like you know things that certain people do and be like that's a really interesting way of doing it and that's the exciting thing and um you know to apply what i've learned from like working in theater or working with actors in a theater setting to then how you direct actors or um you know performers in you know a filmed situation and you know how what what are the stresses and what are the things that actors need or writers need to feel like they are good because basically if they feel good they're going to be more likely to be confident to try stuff and in my mind trying things is going to be you know the way that you find an exciting new way of doing something or find like an extra level to the thing you're doing and i think doing acting things myself has also given me a good perspective you know as i said at the start crushing it all together and blending it and giving different perspectives it's just very useful and i hope that i can carry on doing as many of these different things together for as long as i can but every year i just think to myself okay Stuart, do you need to cut one of these out now because you're not getting any younger and you're not sleeping any more than you used to that's amazing as you were saying i was like yeah we're definitely back to the blender yeah, and yeah. i love the blender i think it's <laughs> that's how you make new things how you make new smoothies new good comedy stuff yeah that's yeah awesome i'd love to wrap up with advice any advice that you've been given that you found really helpful or you do find yourself applying um, so there's a few. I mean, obviously, number one is be happy to fail. I think that is really important. And mm. be happy to make something and not put it out 
be happy to just sort of make something that you're like that was really useful but it's also useful for it to not go out like sometimes people get too attached to something like we've got to get it out there even though they in their heart are not fully happy with it but like to know that even just by making it and it not working out as quite as you like and as what you wanted that you will have learned something from that if you stay open to to that um so it's yeah it's so difficult because you want everything to be perfect and to get everything out there but the gigs that I've done that have sort of changed things the most for me have been bad gigs and the shows that you know going to Edinburgh in 2017 with a show that was working so well in London at previews at festivals and take it to Edinburgh and four days in I'm like it's not working and being okay with that and then just being like right fifth day let's be pay more attention to why it's not working um so yeah, it's then that that led to me being able to fix it and then be able to have a really good rest of the run. So yeah, understanding that failing will make it better if you're open to that. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, just be aware of like uh, when an audience is watching something, they they're so much more astute than sometimes people will. I don't know, sort of assume. And like by providing information, an audience will genuinely will generally be like, "Oh, okay, so, oh, they they go to a gym on a Wednesday, right? So that must be relevant. You know, this is all happening in the background in their brains. So don't give out information, don't put things in that are not completely relevant. And like sometimes you're like, oh, I need to f fill out this character, or this needs to feel more like it's full of life, but actually it the more things like that that go in without a purpose or you know in stand-up it's simple you just make sure that it's funny and then you're you're fine you can get away with it but it's making sure that you're not adding extraneous details because you're attached to that particular aspect of that character or that particular aspect of that storyline or something like that that's great advice thank you Oh my goodness, you've given me so much to think about. I could talk to you for another two hours, but we're going to stop there. Um, but before I say goodbye, I'd love to know where should people go to if they want to find out more about you and your work? And of course, I will put these links into the show notes too. I think the simplest one probably is just Linktree or, uh, so that's Stuart Law's comedy, but Stuart Law's comedy across Instagram, TikTok um, and Linktree or um, my website, stuartlaws.com. But that's so difficult to update. Wix is... Uh, it's, I'm with Wix and I want to say Wix if you're listening <laughs> your platform is very difficult to uh, it keeps crashing so could you sort that out <laughs> okay good I'm glad that we've got that public service announcement in I'll second that <laughs> amazing thanks so much for your time today Stuart thank you very much for having me <laughs>